Today, we want to come back to our series, Adventure Awaits. This is part five. And we have been talking about some of the characters that appear in the birth narrative of our Lord. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about the shepherds. And to build up to that, I want to review for a moment. So we have been talking about the different characters in the birth narrative. And we began with the ancient prophets, and we in particular talked about Isaiah because he's the most quoted in the New Testament. Then we talked about an old elderly priest by the name of Zechariah who had been waiting his entire life to have a child. And on one occasion, when he was chosen by lots to burn incense in the temple, he receives a revelation from the angel. Then a young woman, Gabriel, appears to her as well and she receives news that she's going to have a miraculous conception and give birth to the Savior who's going to be named Jesus. Last week, we talked about the angelic assembly that appeared in the sky to announce the arrival of the Christ child. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about the weary watchers, those shepherds in the first century that received this news and then went to find the Christ child. So let me just review for a couple of more moments as we build up to our time today. You know, the ancient prophets were the crisis managers of the ancient world, and they used all kinds of communication techniques to give hope to the common people. And they would call the people to the common good, to justice, and to love. And what we find is Isaiah is the greatest of the prophets and the poets and by his profound imagination, he gave hope in a helpless situation in the Old Testament. The New Testament writers pick up on that, and what they do is they begin to bring it forward as it is applied to Christ. Then we talked about Zechariah, that elderly priest who is married to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is barren, but God appears and says they're going to have a child in their old age. They are going to give birth to a uh, son who is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. And so Gabriel will tell Zechariah that his prayers have been heard and that indeed God is on the move. There's a young woman, in contrast to this elderly man, who is living in the midst of the Roman Empire. She's from Galilee, an area that's looked down upon by those who live down in the capital area of Jerusalem. She receives a visit from the angel Gabriel, and we are told that she found favor with God, and she will have a miraculous conception and give birth to a son who will be named Jesus, he will be the one through the incarnation that gives us a glimpse of what God is really like. As God enters into humanity, it gives hope in hopeless situations. And it is in the midst of all of this that God sends his army of angels, these mysterious manifestations of God's caring intervention, these messengers who are strange to our experience, but seem to be more commonplace and expected to those in the Bible. And it tells us that we live in a world that is closely related by a thin veil to the heavenly causes of God. Christmas is a show of how God is going to transform the world and how he's going to make it new. 
So today we want to talk about the weary watchers. And the summary of what I'm going to tell you over the next few moments can be stated as God entering into the world in the most unusual of places. And the whole of society will be embraced by Emmanuel, God with us. As God reaches deep into the social fray, stretching all the way to the band of shepherds, we find that these people who were the essential workers of their day and often looked down upon were the individuals that God appears to and gives to this uh, group of people the good news that found in a manger is the savior of the world. And so I want to minimize my own screen so you can uh, just take in the pictures that I put together for this uh, message. And as we work through it, hopefully it will give to you uh, an opportunity to appreciate what God is doing in the world. The whole of society is embraced by Emmanuel, and the cultural conditions of shepherds at this time and place would have ranged from uncouth to dangerous, from commonplace to undesirable. Elites would have included them in the ranks of the nearly invisible. Shepherds reeked of sheep or goats of manure or even their own sweat. And not in anyone's wildest imaginations would they expect that the birth of this divine dignitary, the savior of the world, the Messiah, would come to shepherds. Shepherds were often kept at arm's length by those of higher status, and certainly they were not accepted as people of great value, even though they were an economic necessity. Shepherding was often the work of sons tending their father's flock. Grown men who watched over their family's animals were hired to manage their flock or perhaps that of another man's livestock, but they were low wage earners. And as a result, they were often overlooked. To be a shepherd was often to do a child's chore your entire life. It certainly was not a path that earned economic advantage by any means. Now the better shepherds were the ones that knew their sheep well, and took care of them because they knew when the sheep were hungry or tired, agitated or sick. And the sheep would recognize the voice of their shepherd and respond to it. And the good shepherds became virtually one with the sheep as they transversed the land together. They were both subjected to the same elements, whether it was mud or rain or extreme heat. And in the fold, the shepherd often blended in with the sheep hardly noticeable, and commanding little regard from anyone except their fellow shepherds. You know, shepherding was often full of long stretches of tedium and empty time, and it left time to think, time to ponder, time to wonder. Shepherds pointed to the economic realities, really, of the first advent, they were individuals that drove the meat industry of the time. What we find is they were the essential workers for all the loneliness that they put in, 
you would think that they would be better respected. However, what we find is those individuals that lived in the political world of ancient Palestine were often pressed down to the bottom of the pyramid. What we find is that they often were subjected on two ends, really, of financial manipulation. They had to pay local taxes, both tribute to Rome and to the temple as well. And failure to pay their taxes often would put them in jeopardy of losing the little that they had. And so these individuals that we look on as highly favored because they received this news is really in that day and age a dangerous and humdrum type of life. You know, songs of silent night and holy night often misunderstand the quiet as calm. The calm is really a signature of privilege, though. For those who live on the edges of the empire, nightfall would increase the possibilities of danger. Snapping branches or unexpected pops or unidentified rumbling of poachers and natural predators were making dangerous uh, the dark nights. Trouble can come from any direction. And silence for shepherds is always in the midst of jeopardy as well. And as each day ended, shepherds would often gather hushed in conversation around a fire at night's edge. And they talked of what it had taken to maneuver around soldiers or, or avoid the local tax collectors for another day, while for the most part, their pockets remained empty. They spoke in vague, oblique terms about the abuse visited upon maybe a sister or a cousin, and with a vigilant awareness that words travel even in the dark, they kept their conversations almost inaudible. Harsh words for Caesar's empire and its collaborators were hardly spoken aloud for fear of punishing consequences, even speaking ill of empire indiscreet company could pose a risk. But into the dead of this night, the angels come. The place of potential trauma would be transformed into a place of stunning revelation for these unexpecting shepherds. And on this night, a new story unfolded against the backdrop of the stiff darkness and deep longings. First, it was one angel that came, illuminating the shepherds who wanted to avoid the spotlight. And now they were found out in the hills and nearly defenseless as Bethlehem slept. The shepherds' instinctive response was conditioned by their landscape of fear. But the angel interrupted their panic and said, do not fear. And this is the language of salvation to remove the fear that's deep in the hearts of human individuals. And the angel continued saying that the message was one of good news and great joy, and it was intended for all the people. And on this night, all people included the usually unseen shepherds. The word would arrive about a savior, 
another savior, a possible rival to Caesar and his own program across Palestine. And this angelic proclamation would be politically provocative, and it could elevate anxiety. For to speak of a rival ruler was an act of treason. This good news was not uncomplicated or without tension. And for these shepherds, the promise of peace could be a part of an intriguing proposition, yet at the same time could be quite dangerous. The angels gave these shepherds a sign. And the sign is that of a manger. They would find a savior, a child, swaddled and lying in a manger. And God made this approach familiar to these lowly shepherds, a family that wrapped an infant in swaddling clothes like their own mothers would be quite common. And this would be the place where this child would be cradled in a feeding trough, a place where animals were fed. This newborn in a feeding trough would not be the expectation of one that would be the Messiah or a new kind of king. The manger remains a relic of real life in all its pressing demands and small spaces. And so we find here these shepherds in this sign given to them probably were scratching their heads in wonder. But while they absorbed this message, this host of angels arrived to reinforce the news with shouts of glory and peace. This one angel becomes an army of angels, and the angels would become a choir that sing of glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill among men. The coming messenger spoke of a new day, a new kingdom, and a new lease on life. This is not an invading army, but an inviting army. They invite the world to sing along in the chorus, glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill among men. The way of empires and those who lead them harness the power of violence for the sake of preserving power and privilege. The power in this social structure is the, the desire to keep those in their place at the bottom where they belong. But this army of angels sing of peace on earth and goodwill among men because it is God that is moving into the neighborhood. It is God that is coming near. And in the corner of Caesar's empire, among a minority, an oppressed people, God shows up with hope. There is a baby that is born, and this baby is certainly going to bring good news. Luke is telling the story of how God enters into the world to reverse the kingdoms of this world with the hope of a kingdom that is yet to come. Luke wants us to see two different kinds of empires, one that is built on crushing people and the other on loving people. One is built on the power of violence and the other on the power of servanthood. One is built on the backs of people 
and the other is built on the back of a newborn king. One kingdom is intent on impressing people, and the other is setting the captives free. Jesus moves into the neighborhood. He becomes real flesh and blood, and he takes up the cause of redemption and restoration. And he takes up the cause of love and servanthood. He takes up the light and he brings it into the world and he calls us to follow him. There is a light that is still shining in the dark corners of this world. God is still moving into the neighborhood through the incarnation of his kingdom through the people who will follow him. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. You see, incarnation happens every day in the small corners of of the earthly kingdoms, and the incarnation of the kingdom of God is still being birthed in towns and barrios around the world as they attempt to love and serve and care for people. The early church is built on this dynamic of a community who helps to meet each other's needs, and it would not take long until this little community would become a dynamic presence in the Roman Empire. Tonight, this Christmas Eve, or tomorrow on Christmas morning, we are still the weary watchers in the world. We are the ones that are still hoping and praying and longing for a new kind of rule. It will not come easy, for there are those that will want to keep that structure to themselves. But it is a calling because it is a holy promise given to us by God. It is a calling because God uses people, their own voices, their own hands, and their own feet. Our hands and our feet are open, and we have come through these four weeks of Advent, and we see the light flickering in the darkness on this holy night. And we pray, Lord God, would you meet with those of us who are still the weary watchers. Lord, we are in a world that is profoundly unloving right now. And sometimes it feels like the church is right in the middle of the problem. But would you draw us toward your love, toward your love for each other, to reach to those that we normally would not even notice? We don't even know how to think, Lord, about love right now. Yes, it's hard. And it's divisive to be all-inclusive and to love those that are convenient for others to criticize and to look down upon with contempt. But we believe, Lord God, that you have something to say to us tonight. Guide us in the way of love. We yearn to be people of love, especially in a world that seems desperate for the very love it names as a luxury of fools. It seems risky to choose love, God, but we still do. We're here because we still somehow believe that love is the strongest force in the universe and that love isn't finished with us yet. So let's begin on this holy night. Let's reflect upon those words of the great 
carol that great hymn of faith, O Holy Night. And let us, whether physically or symbolically or spiritually, fall on our knees again. Amen.